every week I've been challenging uh, the congregation. I think, you know, challenge is all fine, but you need to know places in the scriptures where you can go to be nourished, not to be challenged, just to be fed, to be restored. And this is my go-to place, reminding me, and I'm going to remind you, of five wonderful promises. I like the way I say five and I hold up ten fingers, so it's just a check. You're, you're still paying attention. But there's a couple of things I need to say about Psalm 23, just to kind of clear the way. And the first one is this. To, I think to, to benefit from Psalm 23, you and I have to be prepared to do something rather strange. You have to imagine for a while that you are a sheep. Now, I hate it when you're told something like that, especially from, you know, if there's only one thing I would hate more, which is be asked the kind of question, so if you could be any animal, what would you choose to be? You know, there's no way, in the moment someone says, you know, imagine you're a sheep, I want to be anything else than a sheep. But the, the reason I say that is because as you think about this psalm, it is a sheep-centric psalm. It's written from the vantage point of being a sheep. So I, I was going to say, you might as well put yourself into the shoes of sheep, but you know what I mean. And then there's a second thing that um, I just need to get off my chest about when talking about this psalm is, um, I'm London born and bred. I know nothing about sheep. And uh, I was told how little I knew about sheep when I first preached on Psalm 23 down in Salisbury and a sheep farmer offloaded all his knowledge about sheep afterwards. So in the intervening years, I have mugged up no end about sheep. And my expertise about sheep is now second to none. Thanks actually, um, mainly to a book by a man called Kenneth Bailey, and it's called The Good Shepherd. I'm gonna quote him quite a lot, so it just seemed honest to tell you that um, that's where the expertise comes from. For me personally, if this psalm began, uh, the Lord is my bus conductor and uh, he puts me on a number nine and drops me outside the Albert Hall, I would understand it so much more. But, but nevertheless, we'll get over this. So, as I say, I'm going to highlight five great promises from this psalm. And when at the end of talking, we spend a bit of time, we might call it waiting on the Lord or enjoying his presence, you can remember that all five will be true for you. And the first one is this. God meets our needs. That's what the first line of the psalm says, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want for therefore I will lack nothing or I will lack no good thing. Now, it interests me that this is a promise that comes way more than once in scripture. And, and I tend to think that if a promise gets repeated in scripture, it, it's because we're meant to notice it and it's also because it's true <laughs> And it might also be it gets repeated because we find it hard to take it to heart. 
So let me give you some of the parallel ideas, the parallel verses where a similar thing is said. Isaiah 58:11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Or in Psalm 34, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, guess what, lack nothing. The lands may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Or Paul in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So you see, just with that little Bible paper chase, this idea of King David, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in want, is absolutely sewn into the scriptures. But we do need to look at it a little bit more carefully because God is not offering to supply all our wants. And every parent knows that a child who's given everything they want is a recipe for a very spoilt child and it's a disaster. But God's promise repeatedly assures us that he's going to supply all our needs. And what is God good for then? He is good for supplying what we need. Now, that guy I was referring to, Kenneth Bailey, in his book, he, he sounds a little bit catty when he makes this comment, but just because it's catty doesn't mean it's not valid. He says, the psalmist, that's the person writing this psalm, has a very basic set of wants that the shepherd provides for his sheep. The list includes food, drink, tranquility, rescue when lost, freedom from fear of evil and death, a sense of being surrounded by the grace of the Lord, and a permanent dwelling place in the house of God. But an ever-rising mountain of material possessions is not on that list. And there's no hint of any need for power or control. An externally generated set of compulsive desires and the need to be constantly entertained are also absent. And I think I've often discovered just by observation that there is something rather important about what's being said here. It's the Lord you make your shepherd first and then you discover that your needs are met, not the other way around. It won't work for you if you say, when my wish list is fulfilled, then I'll believe in God. I know that's how we all wish it worked, but that's not how it works. It's like Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. And, and sometimes we subtly change it and turn it around. And I'm just putting it out there. No, that's not what this psalm says. Make the Lord your shepherd, and you will find that he takes cares. He takes care to supply all that you actually need. Now, it's incredibly reassuring that the guy writing this psalm didn't live a high-quality moral life. This isn't a promise just for those who have behaved themselves and have a good track record. Because it's on record that King David, who wrote this psalm, cheated on his wife and had an affair. It's on record 
that he incites a man called Joab to murder someone, a guy called Uriah. And yet, and yet, that doesn't put King David beyond God's love. So, a quick reality check. Just to make sure we haven't rewritten the very first verse. It doesn't read, because I have so many friends, I won't be in want. It doesn't read, because life is working out for me financially, I won't be in want. It doesn't read, because my family is behaving itself, generally speaking, I will not be in want. You all see what I'm driving at. All those things will be very pleasant. But for the first five words of this psalm to be true, every one of them has to be true. You can't tamper with the sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. And if you can say that, then you won't be in want. Okay. The opposite is also true. A life lived out of touch with the good shepherd, who is Jesus, will lead you into a place of great want. So, obviously, make the Lord your shepherd. Is the first comes with the first point. Let's move to promise number two. Promise number two. God is in the restoration business. When we spend time with him individually, enjoying his company, and he enjoying ours, he will be able to restore our souls. That's what it says in verses two and three. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters and he does soul surgery. He restores my soul. Now, if you read this verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. And if you're vaguely threatened by the whole idea, then you know you're on the wrong track. I think sometimes I used to think that, that, um, Oh dear, you know, I hope God doesn't wallop me to such a place that I have to be still. You know, the kind of classic is to find yourself lying on your back in the hospital. All oh, right, God's got me where he wants me. Now I'm still and he'll restore my soul. Now, I don't think that's the whole tone of this psalm at all. The tone of this psalm is it's to be in the rhythm of our life that he will gently lead us to a place where you do feel safe where you can be still. And apparently, actually, sheep, you cannot get a sheep to lie down for love or money. It has to decide that it wants to lie down, and it won't if it feels in the least bit threatened. And I think so it is with us. So a better translation might be, he settles me down so that he can restore us as we need it. And actually, in any relationship, even any human relationship, what is essential for a relationship to flourish is communication. What's essential is to spend time together. And it's really no difficult with, different with God. If we're going to grow in our relationship with him and he in his relationship with us, it is vital that we should trust each other to spend time together. And what King David says here is, He's intentional about this. 
it's a good thing to do and something he likes us to do is to lead us to green pastures. Green pastures for a sheep must be heaven, I suppose. And he's leading us to a place where we can relax and rely on him. How does that appeal? Or do you feel very threatened by the whole idea again? Would you find if you went to be still with God that you were fidgeting and longing for a cup of coffee? Well, I would. So the answer is get the coffee and then go back to being still. Or would you find that anxiety comes into your head straight away and you think, oh, I wish I could be doing what Rupert was talking about and letting God be at work, but frankly, I'm worried about this. I'm distracted about that. Well, the thing to do then is to just say that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I really want to spend some time with you doing quality restoration, but right now, I know I'm so distracted, I can't stop thinking about this, 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 and this. We're told, again, twice in Scripture, cast your burden onto Jesus because he cares about you. That's what you're doing when you're saying, I can't be still at the moment because I'm so distracted. He said, right, let me take that weight off you. Because there are times when only God can carry the weight for you and for me. I love to think about a little picture that comes with the territory of being a shepherd from Isaiah 40. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And if you ever watch those who have young, I'll tell you what they look like. Frazzled. Always. It, it just comes with the territory of having young. And I like the picture that Jesus carries them so close to his heart that they pick up the heartbeat of Jesus. It's reassuring, isn't it? And that's what we're being told about here. And if you're an activist, you might find it very, very difficult to actually lay all that stuff down, for, to be long enough to be still and even experience the presence of God. And it might take a lot of practice. And I think it does actually. You know, the first time you might think, what am I doing here? I'm just sitting here. And you know, yeah, I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. I'm reading Psalm 23 till I'm blue in the face but I'm not actually that still, and I'm still fidgeting around, thinking, when's it gonna make a difference? But eventually, eventually, you'll get through that to a place where God is able to do this one-to-one -one soul surgery. So promise number two, God is in the restoration business. It might be that you know perfectly well what's blocking you and God from enjoying each other's company. It might be that actually, sounds strange, but you haven't forgiven him for this, that, or the other that you wish had never happened in your life. Or you were so hoping for this, that, or the other, and it hasn't happened. In which case, you know, there is a choice to make. And it's part of God's healing to say to you, I need to have access to this part of you. Because until that's sorted out, we're not going to be communicating all that well. But on to the third promise. God is going to guide us. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, verse 3. And I suppose if there's one subject that Christians get into a tiz about, it's 
guidance. And this psalm reassures me, tells you that God is not a reluctant leader. It's a specialism of God. This verse says, really, he puts me back on track. Jesus describes himself, doesn't he, many times as the good shepherd. And I challenge you to think of a wish list that you would put on the job description of a shepherd. You know, quite often job descriptions, they have essential skills and then skills that would be preferable but not mandatory, that kind of thing. And I would have said, you know, preferential skills but not mandatory are things like tolerance of spending life outside, uh, willingness to be alone with sheep, um, ability to relate to sheep, but absolute essential if you're going to be a shepherd the number one requirement is you've got to guide these wretched animals because if you've ever seen sheep they walk off track they have no idea of what the right way is so even a plonk along shepherd guides the sheep that's my point and it would be insulting to call Jesus the plonk along shepherd he is the good shepherd he's the shepherd par excellence so Guidance is mainstream to what Jesus promises. God's heart is to lead us for his own namesake, says this psalm. Because it's not to his glory to have sheep wandering around looking lost. It's not to his glory to have stray followers. And to receive God's guidance and hear God's guidance, you need to consult with God and then obey him when he says, guide you. And it's so common and frustrating for me as a church leader, actually, to watch people walk themselves into trouble by failing to ask a very simple question. What will this do, this action I'm thinking about, for my relationship with God? And very often the Bible will have something to say that. What would people following Christ say if they knew I was doing this? What does the Holy Spirit prompt me about this? That's one healthy approach. But if you have the internal approach, the Bible doesn't really mean it, I know better. Don't expect that God is going to guide you because he won't be, you don't know better. And what I've just said is so different from the kind of worldly guidance that says, oh, just trust your gut, go with your feelings, follow the crowd or even more lazy, everyone else is doing it, so why shouldn't I? If you follow any of that stuff, the Lord is not your shepherd at all, and you're not listening to the good shepherd anymore. But if we will go to the Lord for guidance, he most definitely will give it. And because, incidentally, just to reassure us, because God is pure goodness, his ways and his paths and his guidance will be the very best for your life and mine. That's not to say it will be the easiest path, but it will be the best. Promise number four. You'll never walk alone. God is with us. Every step of the way, all of the time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, your 
God and your staff, they comfort me. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age, says Jesus. One of the things I love about this psalm, a slightly different perspective on reading it, is if you look at it carefully, we have God's protection all around us. He goes ahead of us. He leads us beside those still waters. He walks with us through the darkest valley. And then he follows us, the last verse of the psalm, which takes me to the final blessing. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what is this final promise? It's a promise of blessing upon blessing upon blessing, isn't it? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you want to know God's plan for your life, that's what it looks like. Blessing, 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 and the promise of dwelling with him forever. As a good friend used to say, who was a Christian leader, Rupert, the best is yet to be. And that's our theme song. Now, do you feel better able to trust yourself to be close to Jesus? the person who delivers on these five promises? Would you feel safe to invite him, as it were, to share his heart with you as you share your heart with him? That's at the heart of this psalm, isn't it? When I uh, need and feel the need for reassurance and peace and restoration, I plunder this psalm. I go back to it again and again and again. Because yes, Jesus can be intensely challenging, it is so often, but he can be amazingly reassuring, and he is so often. Let's give it a go, shall we? Can I invite the worship band up? And, but before they lead us, we're just going to invite us just to be still, which means basically be comfortable in your own skin. No one's going to be looking at you or <clears throat> trying to assess what you're doing. This is just time for you to open your heart to the Lord. And if you find it difficult to do that, just tell him that. Lord, I thank you that this psalm has been treasured. I'm guessing ever since the day it was written. That it's been claimed and turned out to be true by so many millions of people. And we want to call upon you to fulfill these promises tonight. Thank you for reminding us that your pure goodness, that it's a safe thing to be near you, to rely on you. And thank you, Lord, that you don't turn us away because we're damaged goods. You do the opposite. You invite us to come close to restore us. And thank you, Lord, that 
we face whatever burdens are on our plate. We can entrust you to walk with us. You'll never say that's just too much to carry. I'm leaving it over to you now. Lord, as we wait upon you, send your Holy Spirit to make a difference to us that these might be more than just words and promises. They might make a difference to our lives and our way of living right now. to a time of, of worship together but if you would like someone to pray with you and um, I'm going to suggest that during the time of worship you just quietly make your way to that area on my left on your right and uh, a little team of us will go over there too and be ready to pray God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed, give me vision to see things like you do, God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from, give me wisdom, you know just what to do. God, I look to you, I won't be old. 